0: We're going to listen now to what God has to say to us from His Word, and we're going to look today at Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 29. Today we have the privilege of not only hearing about the good news of what Jesus has done for us, of course we have that privilege every Sunday as we gather together, but this morning, as is our practice once a month, we also have the privilege of commemorating what he did for us as we participate in the Lord's Supper. Now, my practice over the last few months has been to uh, go back to a passage in Acts. You know, we're studying through Acts. We're actually at chapter 9 now in the conversion of Saul. But I'm going back and looking at certain passages that would highlight for us uh, the, the the work of Jesus Christ. And so uh, today we're going to look at this a little excerpt from chapter 5 of Acts. And just to catch you up, we're going to go back to uh, the day when the apostles had been arrested again for preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ there in Jerusalem. And as they appear before the council or the Sanhedrin, uh, they are questioned by the high priest and the priest says to them that he has strictly charge them not to teach about Christ. And yet they're doing so. And so we pick up the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word at chapter 5, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader, and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. God bless the reading of His Holy Word and write its eternal truth upon our hearts today. Maybe you've heard this question before. uh, If you were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you Well, we've seen in the news here recently, over the last uh, couple of years especially, that people have been persecuted throughout the world for being Christians. People are uh, drug out of their homes, out of churches, and persecuted for their faith, many being put to death. But just because a person is sitting in church and might get dragged out doesn't necessarily mean that they are a Christian. Maybe the person was just checking it out, you know, trying to see what was going on at these Christian churches. I could imagine that such a person who would be in that precarious position would begin to explain to his persecutors why he's not actually a Christian uh, but just being pronounced guilty by association. Well, what would be the proof one way or another? how would that person get out of being persecuted or How would we prove that we were Christians if it was ever called into question? The question is, what is a Christian? Well, once we get to chapter 11 of the book of Acts, we will see that it was in Antioch that the term Christian was first applied to those who were followers of Christ. It was used uh, by people who were outside of the faith to distinguish this group of people. Because they talked a lot about Jesus, and they lived like Jesus. They were a lot like Jesus Christ, and so they were called Christians. They resembled him in their actions. And it was evident that these so-called Christians belonged to Christ. They were his disciples, his followers. They were committed to him, and they looked to him as their authority. Well, I'm asking this question today because sometimes I forget what a Christian is. Now, you're, you're thinking, what kind of preacher is this that forgets what a Christian is? That's not a very good, Christ, uh, very good preacher, is it? Well, let me explain <clears throat> what I mean by this statement. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate going on these days between many different religions, uh, different philosophies, different worldviews. Uh, different perspectives and cultures and ideologies, a lot of debate back and forth. And I find that as a Christian, I I am often on the defensive, especially in our culture where Christianity has fallen out of favor. And and, uh, I'm always feeling like I'm attacked and defending why I am for this and against that. And so what happens is my so-called Christianity devolves into holding and defending a set of propositions against the onslaught, the opinions of the world. And then I begin to define my Christianity by a list of behaviors in which I either engage or refrain from engaging. And, and I became, become more about uh, what I'm against than what I'm for. But that's not real. That's not Christianity. That's not what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's actually Phariseeism. It's hypocrisy to say, here is a a list, and if you follow that list, then that makes you a Christian. You know, I used to think that way when I was a younger Christian. I defined who else was a Christian by their behavior. You know, if if you drank, smoked, or chewed, or dated girls that did, Uh, you know, then uh, you weren't a Christian. It might be true, but only God knows the heart. But the heart is shown by the actions. Well, what is a Christian? A Christian is someone who lives in engagement with Jesus. A Christian has found in Jesus a Savior and a leader, as Peter says here uh, before the Sanhedrin. He's a savior, a rescuer. He's one who uh, grants repentance and forgiveness of sins so that we will be rescued from an eternity of alienation and from the wrath of God. And Jesus is also a leader, it says here. Now that's an interesting term. The Greek word is archegos. Archegos. And it means primarily... Uh, Beginning—that's the root of the word uh, beginning—and so uh, we often see it as author in Scripture, like uh, He is the author of salvation. Hebrews 12 mentions uh, the originator, the author, the founder, the pioneer, uh, the person who was called an Archagos was often, uh, though that term Archagos was often refer, was used to refer to the hero of a city. Uh, a city like Athens, uh, where they believed it was founded by Athena, and she was the uh, originator of the city, and so people in Athens looked to her, the, this goddess, as uh, uh, their hero, and so she was worshipped there. This concept, this word, that uh, the concept that underlies this word has that connotation of captain or prince, the one who is our founder and leader. So you see, that certainly applies to Jesus. The disciples looked to him as the one who uh, was was the author of their salvation. He was the one who was their leader. He was the one they followed. He was their authority. And they submitted to him. See, Jesus Christ is the Christian's savior, the author of their salvation, and their captain, their leader. And so the The followers of Christ were called disciples because they learned from Him. They followed His teachings. They followed Him. Now, yes, that will mean that we uh, engage in certain activities and refrain from others. But we behave in such a way because we follow Jesus. We have experienced His grace and His mercy, and we are connected to Him, and we follow Him because we love Him, because He first loved us. And we're responding with with love and gratitude for all that He's freely given to us in spite of our sinfulness. And this joy that we receive from Christ, the joy of salvation, well, we should naturally just want to share that with others so they wouldn't have to live in darkness or the bondage of their sins. Too often we as Christians today spend too much time trying to win the arguments that we have with the world and not enough time talking about Christ and the joy that he can bring in lives and reflecting that joy and and the grace that we have experienced and the, the mercy that's been extended to us, extending that to other people. I think we would have quite a different reputation if we spent more time talking about Christ than just arguing about our position now i do think it's important that we uh, take a stand and and uh, state our position clearly but sometimes we do that to the sacrifice of the good news the good news of christ well peter and the apostles did not forget this when they were proclaiming christ there in jerusalem and when they appeared before uh, the sanhedrin the religious leaders of the day They had been told not to speak about Jesus Christ. It says there in, uh, I believe it's verse 28, that they were strictly charged not to teach in the name of the Christ. And and the Greek is really interesting there because the high priest actually actually says, literally, we charged you with a charge. So it's it's doubly repeated. that this This was something that I commanded you to do, and you're not doing it. And he's upset about it. And so they've had them already thrown in prison twice. So they were strictly charged not to do this, but Peter says we must obey God rather than men. And I'm sure that uh, well, if you read verse 33 you'll see that they didn't like it very much at all. They were really hot under the collar about the disciples and that they were proclaiming Christ. Now the word that Peter uses there uh, the word obey is not the typical word for obedience that you find in the in the New Testament. In fact, this word is only used a handful of times in the New Testament. It's a combination of two words. The word for obedience is there, uh, really persuasion through uh, to obedience, or you're, you're persuaded that someone is who they said they are, and so you obey them, or someone has persuaded you with an argument, and so uh, you listen to what they say. You take it on board, and you hearken to it. So that's one of the words that's there. But the other word that is coupled with it is this word that I've already mentioned to you, the word archegos. So this special uh, word for obedience is specifically the obedience which one owes to an authority figure the obedience that you might give to a king or a magistrate or someone in a position of authority like that. Of course, that applies to Christ. That's what they're saying here. We obey God rather than men. We have an obligation to be be persuaded by this authority figure because we believe certain things about him and he gives his testimony his statement of faith there beginning in verse 30 he says the god of our fathers raised jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree god exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to israel and forgiveness of sins why could he not obey these religious leaders Because he obeyed Christ. And the reason he obeyed Christ is because of four things, really. And I'll give them to you real quick. Jesus has a divine sanction, a divine position, a divine authority, and a divine mission. First of all, he has a divine sanction. It tells us here that the God of our fathers raised Jesus. That might refer to the resurrection. That word is used to refer to the resurrection. But really he's getting to the resurrection in the next verse. Uh most commentators believe this is talking about the fact that that uh Jesus Christ took on flesh. He you know, John three sixteen, God loved the world so that he gave his only begotten Son, He raised him up to be the one to come to earth, to lay down his life for our sins, so that we might have eternal life. So he was sent by God. He is God. Of course, that's mysterious, uh, talking about the Trinity there. But God has come. And of course, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, we heard the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, another divine sanction. But so he, the, Peter is saying, God, the God of our fathers, the God that we worship, Yahweh, is the one that, who has sent Jesus Christ to earth. God has raised him up. And he has a divine position now. Not only was he sent to earth, you killed him by hanging him on a tree, but he has been exalted. He was raised from the dead and he ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. A position of authority. Anyone who sits on the right hand of God is in a position of highest authority. And that's what Jesus has. He has been exalted there to this position of authority, which He has. He has this divine authority. Third thing, He is leader and Savior. Of course, we've already discussed those two things. He has been exalted to that position. He is the leader and Savior of the universe. There is no other. It's only through Him. And He has this finally divine mission, and that is to give... Repentance and forgiveness of sins. He gives it. It's not earned. It's not deserved. But God, through Christ, grants it freely as a a gracious gift on His part to those who obey Him. That's what He goes on to say. We are witnesses of these things, Peter says. And so is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is given to all who obey Him who turn to Him, who make Him their Savior and their leader. They were fully persuaded. They were convinced about Jesus Christ. And therefore, they talked about those things. They reflected Christ in their lives. And that made the religious leaders very angry. Now, that's the most important thing we can ask ourselves right now is, Who do we think Jesus is? Do we we believe that Jesus Christ was divine? If that's true, like the disciples, then we must come to their conclusion. We must obey God rather than men. Uh, We must look to him as our Savior and as our leader. That's our choice. Many uh, apologists throughout the uh, last 150 years or so Uh, especially C.S. Lewis is the one that's most noted for using it, uh, talked about the trilemma, that Jesus can only be uh, the Lord or a liar or a lunatic. And, uh, of course, that's under dispute. I've been reading a a little bit about that. Uh, Some people say that that's a false thing. And Anyway, I'll skip all the debate about it and uh, really reiterate that maybe there's five things that Jesus Christ could have been that people talk about well either he was who he said he was the son of god and that would make him the lord or or he was a liar he duped who who knows how many people over how many centuries which seems unlikely or he was absolutely crazy either he knew what he was saying was false which made him a liar or he didn't know what he was saying was false which makes him crazy now some people say well maybe it was just a legend and see at that point you've not only abandoned faith that Jesus is divine, you've abandoned faith that the scriptures are God's word. And then, therefore, you can throw the whole thing out. Some people say, oh, he was just a guru who thought he was God. Well, that seems ridiculous. That seems to be reading Buddhism back on to, to Christ, that he believed that he was divine like uh, everything is supposedly divine. That's just silly. And then one atheist said that... Uh, you know, Jesus maybe may have been a sorcerer who was a fanatic, and he could do all these miracles, uh, but he was crazy. That seems very unlikely that people would follow someone uh, like that, who, who would be just evil. Well, the line in the sand is this. Do you believe that Jesus was the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus was the Son of God? That has implications for your life. If he is the Son of God, then the only thing to do is to bow the knee and to follow him, to make him your Savior and your Lord. And if he was the Son of God, then his death takes on a very special significance. Why would God die? Why in the world would God die? How could that even be possible? Well, it only happens because God decided it would happen. You'll note that even though The Romans took Jesus and nailed him to the cross that he did not die Uh, as a result of those wounds. The Bible tells us that he yielded up his spirit. He is God. He is the author of life. And he is the only one who has the authority to take up his life and to lay down life. And that's exactly what he did on the cross. He did that willingly for us. So as God, he died in our place. He laid down his life for our sins and he must be followed Uh, how can we do anything else but follow this gracious loving Savior who has done this significant thing for us and we remember it today as we come to the Lord's table Uh, Christ of course we here uh, are gathered together hopefully because we believe Christ and we believe his word and we need to be reminded continuously who Christ is, and what a Christian is. And the table does that for us. Christ instituted it for us. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 11. I receive from the Lord, this is Paul speaking, I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and we had given when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, So in obedience to these words of institution and and in fellowship with the church universal, we now commemorate the death of our Savior in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. But as it tells us here, we need to do that having examined ourselves. Let's all remember our own sin and guilt. We've thought about that this morning as we've confessed our sins to the Lord. Remember that God's anger against sin is so great that He has punished it in His beloved Son through the death on the cross. And let us examine whether our hearts are filled with that godly grief which produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Do we look to Him as our Savior? Do we truly believe in Jesus Christ as our, as our only hope, our only Savior? And Do we accept God's gracious promise that for the sake of the passion and death of Christ, all our sins are forgiven. now, And we are clothed with His perfect righteousness. Do we believe that? And do we, uh, have we looked at our consciences to see whether we resolve sincerely and gratefully to serve Jesus Christ as Peter and the apostles did? To live by that commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and your neighbor. As yourselves. And as we examine ourselves and think about that, you need to be assured that God will certainly receive in grace and welcome to this table, uh, the table of Jesus Christ, his son, all those who repent and walk in faith. However, the Lord admonishes those who do not believe or who are not repentant to abstain from this table so that they will not eat and drink judgment on themselves. So if you are willfully continuing in your sins, uh, stay away from the table of the Lord. Spend this time reflecting on that, confessing your sins to the Lord, uh, praying to Him, reflecting on who He is and and what He's done for sinners. But let us not uh, be discouraged as we think about this solemn warning of eating and drinking judgment on ourselves. Let us not be uh, discouraged from coming to the table because for the contrite believer uh, you know, who comes not uh, thinking of their own merit, but only the merit of Christ, God says, come to the table. Christ says, come to this table. And it's a testimony. It's a testimony that we are saying that, yes, we are sinners. We're worthy of death. Uh, and apart from salvation in Christ, we have nothing. So we're coming and we're partaking, recognizing that we need Christ. Just like we need food for our our physical bodies, we need Christ for our souls. If we don't have food, we die. If we don't have Christ, we will die in our sins. We confess that we believe the promise of God that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that promise assures us that no sin which remains in us against our will, can hinder us from being received of God by God in grace at his table as worthy partakers of his holy food and drink. So as we come to the table, we remember uh, many things about Christ. We remember how he uh, was the Son of God who laid down his life for us, uh, that he was one who suffered and died in our place. We remember that he was buried. Uh, that he literally died for us in our place. And we remember that through that death and his resurrection, that we have this covenant a uh, relationship, a bond with God that ensures all the spiritual blessings that he secured for us. So when we take this, the, the supper, uh, the Lord's Supper, we are assured that he will nourish and refresh us with all these many blessings and that we are his, and he is ours. Let's pray together.